You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Hello and good morning. Morning. Some of you I know and some of you know me because I saw you in the foyer. But for those of you who don't, my name is Levi Simpson and I am the new director of spiritual care at Clona's Gospel Mission. I used to be a pastor at Clona Gospel Fellowship Church. I was there for eight and a half years. I've come here a couple of times to preach, but it was like before COVID, which feels like a lifetime ago. And so here I am. Now, director of spiritual care, that's a new position at the mission. We used to have chaplains. So I'll give you a brief and a very brief, succinct explanation of who I am and what I do, all right? So as the director of spiritual care at the Gospel Mission, it's my mandate, it's my responsibility to see that the gospel finds itself worked out in everything that we do. Whatever it is we do, how does the gospel infuse that? How does the gospel give that voice? How does the gospel give shape to that? Whether it's policy, whether it's lunchtime, whether it's our dental clinic, whatever the case may be, that's my role and that's my responsibility. And we have a lot of stuff going on at the mission right now. We've been uh, working on paying off our women's houses. We've got four women's houses. We're paying off two of them right now. Uh, we've got uh, $900,000 raised so far, which is absolutely brilliant. We've got a guy there named Troy. I'm not sure if you guys know who Troy McKnight is. He's been, yes, he's been hard at work doing that. He's got another 600000 to go, but uh, we're excited about that. If you'd like to contribute to that, I won't say no. You can find me floating around in the foyer after the service. You just grab my ear. We've also just finished going through an accreditation process, which is basically where a group of outside shelters come into our shelter and say, so you say you're doing this, are you actually doing that? And they, they check all our, you know, tick all these boxes, are we crossing our I's, dotting our T's? And I'm thrilled to say we passed that with flying colors this week, we're really excited about that. And daily, as the number of people facing homelessness continues to rise in this city, daily the men and women of Clona Gospel Mission are doing what they can to offer support, to offer shelter, to offer love for those who need it. The vision that we have at the mission is to be a community of people being made whole. A community of people being made whole. That is inclusive of the employees that work there, that is inclusive of myself, because all of us have sin in our lives. All of us can be restored only by the gift and grace of God. And so we are not there as a group of would-be saviors offering a hand out to people who are below us or beneath us. We are there walking alongside people who have been dealt a more difficult hand than us, but like us, need to be restored and met by Jesus. And so we're there to walk with them and do what we can. It's a really, really fabulous job, actually. And I understand that uh, I'm new in my position. I'm about as new as you, uh, Rick. I started February 27th was my start date at the mission. But even though I'm new, uh, I was combing through our social media, and I have seen just how this church in particular has come alongside the mission and what we're doing with the hampers that you've raised, work you've done at different points of the season. So a very big thank you to all of you for how you've supported the mission. Uh, it is a gift. It is an absolute gift. And especially as COVID is no longer a global pandemic officially, 
and as we're working on getting into new rhythms outside of COVID, uh, we're, we're just looking forward to how we can continue to partner with you moving forward and how you can continue to come alongside the men and women uh, who need companionship, who need God's love. So thank you for that. I've been uh, in the Psalms recently, and the Psalms ring out with statements about God's justice to the poor and to the marginalized, and so it's really encouraging to see you guys uh, come alongside that, uh, to see your local and global missions work. That is fabulous. But this morning, I am not talking about the Psalms. This morning, I am talking about Philippians. That's where I want to start this morning. But before I get there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken the time to think about what it is that makes you who you are? What it is that makes you who you are? Now, this is a huge question, so I want to zero in on one thing in particular. I want to zero in on your family. So I'm a Simpson, for example. I'm a Simpson. What other surnames do we have in the room here? I'm, I'm used to a Mennonite environment where I can just casually throw out, like, weens and ends and vokes and hit the target. I saw one. Yes. We've got, was that a weens? Is that a weens? Yes. Okay, we've got, we got weens. Who else do we have in the room here this morning? Martins? Yuzics? Taves? Perfect. There's lots of us, right? And when you think about your family, when I think about a Simpson, when you think about your family, when I, when, when I, when I think about family, I, I recognize that we look alike. The Simpson family looks alike. This is my family on the screen here. We used to get these books. They're called chat books. When you have an Instagram account, uh, they would just catalog your Instagram photos, and after the, the book was full, they would ship you a book. And so we've got a stack of these books by the end of our couch that our girls love to flip through. They love to see themselves and see us in there. That's my wife. And then those are older pictures of my girls, but those are my girls, Avery, Ella, and Lauren. And when I look at them, I see an immediate resemblance. The blonde hair, the smiles, the way they laugh, the gestures. I look at them and I immediately recognize them. They look like me and they look like Shelley. Now, it's been a while since we've got these books, but like I said, we, we love them, we hang on to them. When we look at them, we see ourselves. They're a little record of what it means to be a Simpson. But it's more than that. It's more than just appearances. It's also how we engage the world, how we live in and live out of every day, each of us looking more and more like the other. When I look at my kids now, they look even more like me, and we act even more like Simpsons. We are each of us becoming more and more Simpson every day. Uh, I saw, I heard Weens and Taves were the grayest hair I saw in the room. Sorry, that answered my question. You guys look more like Taves and Weens than you did probably on the first day you were born. You grow into your family name. But we didn't decide or make up what our family would look like. Much of who we are came from our families before us. Shelley, my wife, was a Peters before she came at Simpson, before she became to the Simpson family, and she looks every inch a Peters. My family, my family is Simpsons and Matts. And these families come together to make our family as well. There's, a, there's more than a little bit in our family, in myself, of a Peters as well, since Shell and I have now been married for 21 years. The nice thing is, Shelly also had to look up and hasn't confirmed the answer, so 
somewhere between 10 and 30 years we've been married now. It's good. My family, Shelley's family, have shaped who we are as well. So why do I bring this up? Well, I think it's fair to say that each of us is both reading from a script that we've been getting, uh, given and writing on that script as well. I've received a script from my family, Shelley's received a script from her family, and together we have these scripts. We're making our own script as well based off of these things. A new script, what it means to be this Simpson family. We're reading from a script that tells us something of what it means to be who we are. These things can be positive things, these things can be hard things, but they're given to us nonetheless, we don't have a say in the matter. It's a script passed down to us from those who came before us, and every day, whether it's in the context of a family, a community, or a group of friends, we are adding to that script as well. So where am I going with all of this? Well, today I want us to reflect on the question, what is it that makes us who we are as God's church? What is it that makes us who we are as the family of God? If you've read or been in Paul's letters at all lately, you'll know that he often answers the question with the phrase, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. What I'd like to do this morning is encourage you to think about that phrase, in Christ, in the same way that you think about yourself and your family. I am in the Simpson family. I am in Christ in the same way that I'm in my family. To be in Christ means to be in the family of God, a part of God's family, And so to be a Christian implies that we bear a family resemblance. We ought to look like our Father. We ought to look like the God who made us. And in looking like the God who made us, we will inevitably begin to look like each other as well. If chapbooks are a record of my family's resemblance, the Bible, with all its stories and writings, is the book that shows us what it means to be the family of God. And I don't think this picture of family and bearing the family resemblance can be found any clearer than in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. It's a short letter, it's four chapters long, and uh, it's going to be our focus this morning. So the church in Philippi was founded by Paul on one of his missionary journeys, and it was, uh, it was a pretty special city, a pretty unique city. It was named after the father of Alexander the Great. There was a deep sense of pride and history in this city. And the script for the people of this city was a simple one and strong. It was this, Caesar is Lord and you are, loyal, uh, you are a loyal Greco-Roman citizen, so lean in. All right, this is the age of city-states. So this city, their whole identity was wrapped up in who they were and their heritage. Paul, however, wants to remind the young church there that while this might be true for the average Philippian, they are a part of something else entirely. And since he's in prison at the moment and can't visit them, he writes this, Philippians 1, 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. That is who you truly are conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news, the gospel, that God himself has come in Jesus Christ for our sake. 
Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you have been given a different script to live from. You have been given a different script to live out. Lean into that. And then in chapter 2, he lays this out very clearly. This is a very famous portion of Scripture. Philippians 2. We'll start with verse 1. We'll read all the way through to verse 11 if you're following along in your Bibles. I'm reading from, I believe it's the New Living Translation here. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take, on, take an interest in others too. I'm going to pause right there for a second. That is as clear and cut and dry an encouragement and exhortation that we can get from Paul. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others. And here's why he says that. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who, though he was God, and it's important here that you can actually translate that word though, you can translate that word also as because. I think it's important to have both those meanings in place there. Though he was God, or perhaps because he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And I, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't point out here that we have to have, we have to make sure that our view of, of Jesus isn't as uh, a view of Jesus as the strong man. Jesus coming down filled with the Holy Spirit, coming down to kick butt and take names and stares down the barrel of the cross and shrugs it off, no problem, because he's got this thing won anyways. That is not what happens. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he do? What does he say? Anyone? I hear lots of soft whispers. I'll assume you're all right. I couldn't, I couldn't hear what any of you were saying, but I'll assume that you all nailed it. He's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asks God to pass this cup from him. We were talking about simple English before. Here's the simple English translation of that. God, I don't want to do this. It is really important, especially if you are facing hard times right now, that you recognize that when God himself came in Christ and lived among us, he found it hard and needed to turn to God the Father for strength. In case you feel like a failure this morning, in case you feel like you can't do it and you should be able to, God himself found life hard. So take a breath and follow Jesus' example in turning to the Father, saying, I can't do it this morning, and turn to him in prayer.
Because in that prayer, Jesus also says, even though I don't want to do this, God, your will be done. It's a remarkable prayer. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That right there, it's called called a hymn of Paul. It's one of Paul's most famous hymns that he writes. And it really is the script that is passed along to us. Jesus looked like the God uh, who he was, Because he was God, he gave up his rights and privileges. He humbled himself. He served others, even though it meant his own death. And in doing so, he was honored because Jesus Christ is Lord. He is your Lord. He is my Lord. And we ought to look like the family that we are a part of. The church, whether it's in Philippi or in Kelowna, is called to look like Christ. And Christ Paul makes as clear as he can, most clearly demonstrated what it means to be a part of the family of God when he renounced his rights and privileges, when he humbled himself, when he was obedient to God, even though it meant his death on a cross. The culture in Philippi was the same as it is in Kelowna, at least in one respect. Everyone wanted to cling to their rights and privileges. I worked hard to get where I am. I had some help. But now that I'm here, these things that I've got are mine, and that's my privilege. That's what I get. We all think like that. We want to claim and rest in the benefits of our place on the social or economic or political ladder. I am really encouraged by a fellow named Henry Nouwen. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the name Henry Nouwen. Um, whatever you think about him theologically, because I know there's always a range of opinions on any given writer, here's what I like about what Nowen did. Nowen was the dean of Princeton's theological school, top of the food chain. And at 50, he asked himself, am I any closer to Jesus now than I was when I was 25? And he realized he couldn't answer that with a yes. And so he quit his job and he moved in as a care worker for um, adults with developmental disabilities and lived there the rest of his life until he died. Because he recognized, without realizing it, he had begun to cling to the things he had fought and worked and earned for instead of realizing that what he should have been striving for was looking like the God who made him, looking like Jesus Christ. And so, as cliche as it might sound, He looked at his what would Jesus do bracelet and said, I need to do something different than this. I need to be in a context where I am reminded of my own need and the need of others, and I am obligated to meet that need. And so he got up, and he moved, and he took on a whole new life. That is an encouragement, if ever there was one. Paul says we cannot rest on our accomplishments, rest on our rights, rest on our privileges. 
This is not what the church looks like. We are citizens of heaven, and our lives are therefore shaped and given direction by the script that God has given us. And it is a script of self-sacrificing love. There is a reason there is a cross in almost every single church you might visit. Because our story is condensed in that. It's a bizarre thing to think of uh, how many of us either wear a necklace or maybe have it on earrings, a device of Roman torture. But that device reminds us in many ways of the hardship to which we've been called on the one hand, yes, but the hope on the other that the cross is not all there is. It is not just suffering and death because even this has been redeemed and restored. This, this tool by which we meant to kill Christ and lock him out becomes the key for us to be welcomed into the family of God. That is remarkable. The cross is a hard thing, and we often only think of it in the context of what Christ has done for us. But here in Philippians, Paul wants them to see their community, the church, as a community that is shaped by the cross. We are supposed to be a cross-shaped community. A fancy word for that you can take home with you today is cruciform. We are supposed to be a cruciform community. This is what Jesus meant when he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and, be, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And how do we know that? Because Jesus gave up his life for the sake of God's will. And what did God do? God gave him his life back, redeemed and restored and new. There's a reason that Christians took wild and irresponsible risks in the early church. The reason they did that is they had this thinking in mind. If I die serving Jesus, I will only be given my life back. So watch what happens. And they stepped headlong into the fray. That is inspiring and challenging and encouraging all at the same time. It's as a cross-shaped community, a community that proclaims Jesus alone as Lord, that we are called to be a part of shaping this story as well. Just as my girls are shaping the script they've received and that my wife and I received from our family, so we are called to participate in shaping the church as we work out what it means to be a part of the body of Christ here and now on May 7th, 2023. You guys are a part of the Mission Creek Alliance Church. The Alliance Church has a history that runs tangential to the Mennonite Brethren Churches, which is where I came out of. Before we came to an MB church here, my family was a part of a Christian Reformed Church in Alberta. All these different families take on slightly different family resemblances, but all of us look like Christ as we try to advance his gospel in the world. Paul says as much in 2, in, uh, in two verse 12, and I always like how the uh, NIV puts it, he says that we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But don't mistake that fear with uh, fear and trembling with terror. Paul's not describing anxiety at the task of what it means to look like Christ in the 21st century. He's talking about awe here. For it is God who works in you to will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purposes. The ridiculous thing, the crazy thing here is that even if we might falter and fail, we actually cannot lose. This is what Revelation is all about, talking about how the churches who are victorious in Christ, despite the insane challenges they're facing, they have already won. They're invited to realign, to re-participate with what God is doing, to live in that victory. So any sense of fear or anxiety can be taken off the table for us. All that's left then for us is creativity. How will we be the church today? How will I look like Jesus today? What will it mean for the Simpson family, a young Christian family, to look like Jesus in Kelowna today? I'm new at the gospel mission. That's my task right now. What does it mean for me, Levi, to look like a Christian at Kelowna's gospel mission and to serve Jesus in a very complex and complicated environment? What is that going to look like? And that's my job. And the great thing here is, I'm participating with what God has already done in Christ. So what I get to do is I get to educate my imagination and figure out, so how is this going to work? How am I going to do this? You guys are exploring this already, it sounds like, with uh, immigrant families who are looking to um, grow community and grow in their language, and you're saying, we will come alongside and do that. God bless you. God bless you. Paul is encouraging the church in the face of the culture surrounding them to participate in the script that Jesus has handed them, to take on the family resemblance. And the greatest encouragement of all is that the God who raised Christ from the dead, who elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other name, is in you. That's the God who is at work in you right now. So that reminder from the the last three verses gives us a confident hope that embracing the notion of being a cross-shaped community doesn't mean we are dooming ourselves to endless loss and suffering, but that working out what it means to look like Jesus Christ crucified is how we participate in the victory and glory of God. Too often in Western Christianity, we err on on the side of saying, well, I believe the right things, and I'm making sure that people around me believe the right things, and in believing the right things, I have have accomplished God's purposes in my life. But I love the prophets. I love when the prophets hold uh, the kingdom of Israel's feet to the fire. They never go after their theology. Have you noticed noticed that? They never go after how they are believing the wrong things. What they do is they point out the results of how they are living. There are widows and orphans in your community, and you are the ones making them, so you are wrong. I don't care what your theology is. If your theology produces this situation, then you are wrong. You don't look like the God who made you. That's what Jeremiah says. That's what Isaiah says. That's what all the prophets go after. They focus on the fruit of the community, which is why Paul spends his time talking about the fruit of the Spirit, how we ought to look. May each of us join in the work of God. May each of us join in the work that he is doing through the spirit of his son. May each of us come to look more and more like him as we engage with the world, with one another, and our families. 
and may each of us not shy away from the call that he's placed before us. I asked at the very beginning, I wanted to look at what does it mean to be who you are. The question I hope to leave you with this morning as you walk out of here is think about yourself, think about your family or community or community of friends, the people that you have picked as your family, whoever it may be. Think about the people who are yours and wrestle, not just in your own head, but wrestle together. Remind yourselves, what does it mean for us to be both God's family and a Taves and a Weens and a Simpson and a Bartlett and a Yuzik and all the other names I've clean forgotten. As I close this morning and before we close in one more song, I want to pray a prayer over you. It comes from a lovely book, a book of prayer. It's fancy, it glitters, and it's got ribbons, so it's got to be a good one, right? This is my prayer for you this morning. Thank you for inviting me to uh, share God's word with you, and I hope you can receive this prayer as well. Would you stand with me as I pray? MCA family, may the Father of life pour out his grace on you. May you feel his hand in everything you do and be strengthened by the things he brings you through. This is my prayer for you. May the Son of God be Lord in all your ways. May he shepherd you the length of all your days, and in your heart may he receive the praise. This is my prayer for you. And despite how simple it may sound, I pray that his grace will abound and motivate everything you do. May the fullness of his love be shared through you. May his spirit comfort you and make you strong. May he discipline you gently when you are wrong. And in your heart, may he give you a song. This is my prayer for you. May Jesus be Lord in all your ways. May he shepherd you the length of all your days. And in your heart, may he receive the praise. This is my prayer for you. Amen.